0: Melissa Kay Norris is a fifth generation homesteader, a mother, an author, a podcaster and an incredible wealth of experience and information on how to thrive living close to the land. I learnt so much from this interview Andrea did with her. Listen in and you'll hear an invaluable insider look into her farm routine and life, how she prepares her family's food for the whole week on a Sunday Her hard and fast rules for her kids and food. Her insight into the many ways to earn income from your farm, and I promise you there'll be ones in there that you've never thought of. And how she does it all, including being able to look like she hasn't just come off a farm, when she actually has. This interview is chock full of gems that will fill out your knowledge, make your life easier and make you smile.
1: Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in Central Italy and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to introduce to you a very special friend and also somebody who's been a mentor for me, even though she didn't know me for many years through her books and channels. Um, today, Allison isn't here, but I have Melissa K. Norris on the podcast. Hello, Melissa. Welcome.
2: Hey, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today.
1: Yeah, I'm super stoked that you said yes. (laughs) Um, This is tons of fun for us. If anybody listening doesn't know who you are, they're about to find out. Um, But Melissa K. Norris is the person that Chuck Norris took his name from. That's how... That's how cool she is.
2: Okay. I am stealing that. I love that.
1: It's so much fun, even though
2: it's, uh, you know, obviously my married last name. Um, That is hilarious. I love it.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, Chuck Norris wishes he was as cool as Melissa K. Norris. Um, So, Melissa, you have YouTube channel, Instagram, cookbooks. Um, What else do you have out there? Oh, your podcast, obviously. An amazing podcast.
2: Oh, you're so funny. yeah. <laughs> I I'm actually trying to go through the list. There is a lot. Uh, yeah. The Pioneer today podcast, Instagram, Facebook page, Pinterest, and the YouTube nice. channel are kind of the, the prime. Well, and my website, of course, like that yeah, is the yeah. main hub, but yeah. Can you say Those your website? website? Melissa K mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Your stuff is so good. Um, I think I told you that Lexi said of all the gardening books that she has, yours is in the top two. She's got her two favorites and yours has been very helpful for her. So,
2: oh, well, I feel very honored. That's always, (laughs) it's like, it's funny as the author, that's, that's your goal, but you know, until it goes out in the world, you know, you're not sure if you actually met that standard or that goal (laughs) that you set. So
1: I love hearing that. Yeah. I'd say you did. And um, when we get towards the end, I really want to ask you about your new book that's coming out. So, okay. <laughs> so let's so kick let's this let's off. Um, I've collected questions for you. Um, your fans want to know. <laughs> <laughs> We've got um, your first question that we always start off on the podcast is what is the last thing you ate before jumping on to record? Okay. Or hop down on for just a minute. <laughs> Right, fire it well.
2: Okay. The last thing I well technically espresso with cream is my go to every morning. Um, uh, I'm really not a big breakfast eater. I never have been. Even as a kid. I was never mm-hmm. never really that into breakfast. I just I just naturally intermittent fast. Um, so yeah, coffee with cream is what you will find in my hand every single yeah. morning.
1: <laughs> I like the mug you had. It looks like a pottery or something like that
2: it is actually it is available at melissaknorris.com it says really? today yeah <laughs> oh my gosh that's a melissa k
1: Norris mug stop it i, I need one i'll bring you says, one now <laughs> it says pineapple you have to sign it with a sharpie i would do it
2: i would totally do that today. yes oh i, my I love gosh. it they are hand actually it's really funny they're my favorite mugs not because they have my mm-hmm. branding on them but <laughs> oh. um They're hand, they are actually handmade. So they're handmade, real pottery. And I love those types of things, but I like the shape of it. Like it just fits Mm -hmm. your hand. I always have cold hands. And it's like my little, it's my hand warmer as well as my energy (laughs) 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 increaser.
1: Yeah. Gets gets the chores done. So speaking of coffee. One of the questions that somebody had was, do you brew anything? This is just a random question, but I, as soon as he asked, I was like, I have no idea. Do you brew anything out there on the farm, like beers and things like that? That's
2: a great question. The only thing I brew is vinegar, which technically means I've Mm. brewed alcohol and then I've turned it into, or it turns itself (laughs) into vinegar, I should say. I didn't. Um, But no, I, it's really funny. I detest beer. Really? I, I I don't like the flavor. I have tried, yeah. you know, everybody's like, "Oh, you got to try this one." You know, like that whole whole thing. And I just really do not like the flavor of beer. And yeah. so it's never held any interest for me just because I don't like it. And I've, yeah. we actually have wine grapes because by accident we got wine grapes um, for half of our grapes <laughs> when we put them in way back in the day. And oh, so I use those to make, like, jelly because they never get sweet enough to just eat. And so I use those to oh, make, like, grape okay. juice where you're adding some sweetener to it or jelly, which you would be adding, obviously, uh, sugar to. Anyhow, you have to because they're so sour. But I would oh. like to someday get learn to do some winemaking but it's just not on the top of my bucket list i haven't dove into yeah. it yet so yeah, yeah technically no just the just the vinegar but i don't know that that's really technically the brew you were you were yeah. asking about
1: <laughs> no i think that's totally an act- do you ph test your vinegar or do you just use it for cooking or whatever
2: I don't. I don't use it for canning um, because Mm -hmm. it's a raw vinegar. And if you use it for canning, of course, you've destroyed those properties, but also because of the pH levels, just as you were saying. And and, um, from the the research that I've done for canning, the pH strips are not accurate enough.
1: I I think they're so... (laughs) Objective.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't. So all of the vinegar that we brew is for you know like fire cider, medicinal purposes, yeah. Co- yeah. cooking, you know, just yeah. eating those types
1: of things. Yeah,
2: and yeah, unless... fruit fly traps. I have to say, <laughs> fruit flies are horrible right now, <laughs> and yeah, so they are. are my fruit fly okay. killers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like unless you are making tons and tons and tons of vinegar and testing it on a digital meter, um, I would just get it from Azure for canning because. Yeah. All that effort. And then you just kinda cook it.
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Same. That's where, actually it's hilarious. That's where I get mine is from Azure. Because yeah. they have, yeah, they have got, there's one of the few places I can find when I want white vinegar, which I usually use apple cider mm. vinegar for so many things. But when I'm canning, I do like the white vinegar, but Azure is one of the mm. only places that I can find the organic white vinegar because it's usually oh, yeah. made from corn. And if it's not organic, I don't really want GMO corn uh-huh. vinegar personally. So anyways. I don't
1: think I've seen white vinegar anywhere, but on Azure, actually,
2: because there's organic, been a couple yeah. times
1: I've thought, "Oh, I just need to buy some quick," and I never could find any. So yeah, same. Yeah, weird. Um, okay. Another random farm question before we're gonna get to the uh, bulk of what I have for you, which is, you live relatively close to me. How do you keep your chickens warm in the winter? What's your strategy? Oh, that's a good question. Um,
2: they're made to stay warm. I mean, they've survived for the beginning of time, right? Since the chicken came from the egg or the egg came from the chicken, (laughs) whichever, you know. And so we just do a deep litter in the coop. So I add extra straw for them. And, you know, as long as you've got at least a few chickens so that they can kind of roost together, they've got body heat. And mainly it's just that they have a place to be, to be dry and a place Mm. to block the wind. Um, But we don't, I don't, Use heat lamps. I don't use any any lighting, any heat sources, and they've always done just fine. Like last winter was, we had the coldest temps that I have seen here, and I've lived here for forty one years because I've lived in the same place my whole life. Awesome. <laughs> and we were five. De- we were five degrees. I've never seen us get into negatives, like with wind chill, yes, but not the actual yeah. temperature. And they all just just did fine. They did great.
1: Yeah, we had five degrees last this past winter. i think i'm slightly higher than you so it probably gets like a little bit colder here so i don't know if you guys got five because this past winter or not but yeah that was the coldest it got i don't think it ever dipped into the negatives yeah yeah Yeah. so just
2: extra i just like i put in a bunch of i put extra straw in so that they've you Mm -hmm. know they can get down in there and they've got that deep litter and then yeah they've always done great
1: do you have your eggs freeze your eggs freeze in the winter
2: I have had the eggs freeze, but most of my girls, unless I have a new flock that it's their first year laying, they Mm -hmm. don't, they're not usually laying at our coldest part of the year because they usually don't start laying again until the days are longer, which is usually about the end of February. And we'll have some cold temps in March and like some late snowstorms, but it's usually not quite those cold, cold temps of like January. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I have had some eggs freeze, but I'm kind of of the belief like they crack when they freeze. But yeah. as long as they were frozen, like nothing got in there. And so yeah. if I, it went, as soon as they fell, like if I'm going to use them that day, yeah. like yeah. I'll go ahead and use them if, yeah, you know, if there's too many and I'm not going to be able to use them, I don't want them, you know, want them sit cracked for a long True. period of time. But that's, that's just kind of the way I roll with that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I'm not using them in like eggnog or maybe something raw, but if you're cooking them, you know. Um, yeah. plus when you're getting so few eggs in the winter, you just don't want to waste a single one. Yeah.
2: So I'll, I'll try to be really good and go out like super early, yes. like right when they've just laid it and grab them. <laughs> and that does work sometimes if I'm out there, yeah. I'm not always that in the morning though, cause it's
1: so cold and I don't want to go I out quite know. that early. Yeah. So, so for anybody listening who doesn't know how Western Washington is, it gets like our days get pretty short, um, as far as not being in Canada or Greenland or Alaska goes, our days are as short as eight hours in the winter, eight hours of daylight. Um, so, but our summers, our summer days, you know, the sun's up at four and it goes down, you know, it's light out till 10. So head. yeah, <laughs> we get that. <clears throat> okay. I feel like I've now, now that I have you, here. We're not standing in like a parking lot talking. <laughs> <laughs> like there's so many questions. We
2: have parking lot meetings a lot. It sounds <laughs> weird, but it's actually cool.
1: <laughs> We've only had the cops show up once. Um, <laughs> do you preserve eggs? Do you preserve your eggs? I do preserve eggs. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about that.
2: So before I had a freeze dryer, I tried different methods and honestly, like they will last... Like I will start gathering like in the month of October when I know that they're Mm -hmm. getting ready to molt and I'm going to start losing my egg production. Those I will gather and I just put them immediately in the fridge with the bloom still on, unwashed so that they've got the bloom. And those eggs will last, as long as we don't obviously get into them, those will last at least three months. Oh yeah. So I just like, we'll try actually, usually, actually about mid-September, I'll start gathering those eggs and then just, and just not, not using those, you know, putting them back um and then i will freeze for baking especially christmas baking cuz that tends to be like when i've gathered from september by the time we hit december right. i've kind of i've went through all of them mm-hmm. and so i will freeze eggs but for me with freezing the eggs you have to incorporate the yolk if you just crack an egg and freeze it without incorporating the yolk with the white it, i tried it and cuz i'm like oh it can't be that bad. I'll just whip it with my KitchenAid, like whip that yolk. No, 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 no. Once it thaws, it's rubbery and it doesn't matter. It's weird. Even like once you cook it, it doesn't matter. Like Uh I've tried beating it, you know, with the KitchenAid beater on like 10 speed, you know, and that (laughs) thing can whip. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in a batter and then like thinking it's incorporated within a batter, I've, I've beat this thing Um, No, you'll actually taste like little rubbery chunks in whatever you bake. It's it's so so appetizing. Oh, appealing. So I learned that if I incorporated fully, just like with a fork, you know, just whip that baby and then freeze it, then it's fine. Of course, then it's only using Mm it in in recipes like baking where you're going to be putting a whole egg in, or you could Mm -hmm. do scrambled eggs with them, of course, but- you know, you're not going to get the whites for meringue yeah. or or anything like that. But that has worked well. And what I like to do is just put one egg in a muffin tin, and I use the silicone muffin liners, mm-hmm. um, and whip it in there, and then put it in there, and then freeze it. And mm-hmm. then when I go to pull it out, I know this is one How egg, many is. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. I've got yeah, and I just put them all in like a, a big gallon ziploc bag and and freeze them. Yeah. Um. So that I did. And anybody can do that if you've got a freezer, obviously. Uh, but I got my freeze dryer almost three years ago now, and what I love about the freeze dryer is I can freeze dry them raw, and then because you can't dehydrate raw eggs, well, you shouldn't. There's no there's safety yeah. issues with bacteria with dehydrating, and this so is a you long can
1: time to be at like ninety degrees, right?
2: Yeah. So there's just a higher bacterial load, so yeah. it's not
1: recommended.
2: Um, you can dehydrate with a regular dehydrator cooked eggs, but of course then you can't use them for baking. Like you're just reconstituting <laughs> to eat them. And so that yeah. for me, that defeated the purpose because I really wanted them for baking uh, come win- the winter months. So with the freeze dryer though, because it uses uh, different mechanisms, um, you can safely freeze dry raw eggs and textural wise, okay. like... I actually don't even deep freeze my eggs anymore because textural wise, if I'm going to make scrambled eggs, the freeze dried eggs, you can't tell the difference. Like they're light and fluffy. It's just like a fresh egg. I know it's so, it's weird and cool all at the same time. And then I've got extra freezer space because my freezer space is really like my premium spot. I don't have a lot of extra freezer space because we have, Mm -hmm. we butcher all our own pigs and our own cows and our own chickens, you know, so there's only so many yeah. freezers that I can have running and I don't like to use them for things if I can safely preserve them and other methods that are just as good. Yes.
1: Okay. One of my friends got a freeze dryer and she took some of my eggs and freeze dried a bunch and gave me back a quart jar. So I have this jar. It's like yellow. It looks like gold flake or something. Yep. So you just. So two, two tablespoons of the dried
2: egg freeze dried powder to two okay. tablespoons water is approximate That's... one egg
1: yeah what, and you just soak that or what yeah. You
2: yeah so take take your two <laughs> tablespoons of your egg powder, put incorporate the two tablespoons of water and just use like a fork to kind of you know moisten it, incorporate it up, mm-hmm. let it sit for just like i don't know not very long, like maybe three or four minutes, and then it'll it'll re it'll reconstitute into you know the water and the powder nice. will reconstitute, and then yeah, you're good to go. It's really cool. uh, Try it. (laughs) Well, it's so nice because I can fit like (laughs) eighteen eggs per tray in the freeze dryer, and there's four trays, and then that all condenses down to like two, oh, maybe two half gallon jars. But I mean, that's I don't, I I can't, I'm not going to do the math on the fly, but that's a lot of dozen eggs condensed to just one little little jar. So storage wise, it's phenomenal.
1: No, totally. We don't have a freeze dryer. I don't even know how our neighbors have a freeze dryer and they're off grid like we are. So I, when she said she has a freeze dryer, I was like, hold up. How are you running a freeze dryer? That baby pulls a lot of power. And so then she was telling me about their setup and stuff. So goals, but what I've been doing is just putting them in the calcium hydroxide and it works, but boy, it takes up a lot of room. (laughs) Cause you just have
2: gallon jars of eggs. And that, that was where we were at. Um, The reason I haven't done that is because I didn't have the space for it. We just added on to our manufactured home. It's a double wide, but manufactured Mm -hmm. home sounds fancier. And so (laughs) I now have an office space and I actually have like a walk-in pantry where the freeze dryer now is because prior to that I, I had to keep my freeze dryer out in an outside shed, which means I couldn't run it when we had freezing temperatures unless I also wanted to run a heater at the same time, which I didn't really uh, because the oil, if the oil gets power (laughs) on the property, I'm like, no, thanks. (laughs) Um, So now I I have that, but that was the same, the thing I'm like, I didn't have a garage. We didn't have a basement. I didn't have anywhere that I could have buckets of eggs or large gallon jars with the, in the, the solution. I just didn't have the space for it. So.
1: Yeah, totally. I feel like that's, always what it comes down to with food preservation methods. I know people who they just have to dehydrate tons of stuff because they don't have a lot of room, but then you're probably like us where people say, I don't have room for something. And you're like, okay, but have you considered your bedroom? <laughs> you know, we've got like stacks of jars everywhere. And... <laughs>
2: oh yes. It, under the bed. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> under the beds. And co- we actually took what was supposed to be the coat closet when you enter the house mm-hmm. and the cleaning closet, like where you would typically put your broom and vacuum and, and all those things. And that got converted. We went all the way up to the ceiling with shelves and around the side. And that was my, yeah. my extra pantry yeah. and where I could put things. But then we started to outgrow that as well. And so then it was all in the bedroom and I put the you know you get them they're like I think they're like almost six foot tall wire Mm -hmm. shelving units that you would typically see like in garages. Well we had to put one of those in our bedroom because (laughs) again I'm like and then I'm like okay this is just silly like we need to add on an actual food storage room and we were at a place where we could do that. So it was great. Yeah I love
1: it. I Remember Lexi telling me, Oh, yeah, go around to the different bedrooms and pull out the bins under all the kids' beds. There's squash in this one and jam in this one. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising where you can stuff things, but also that's kind of traditional in a way. You know, the way we recreate, like you've got your herbs um hanging behind you. I see, like the way we recreate the cool look is, you know, we hang a ham from the ceiling and braid our garlic. That's a well, yeah, because these were, well, you're not braiding your garlic. <laughs> my garlic oh I thought you said I'm not braiding this or something
2: (laughs) oh no no no. well I don't braid the hardneck because you can't and it was one of those things apparently I am like a skeptic at heart I guess because I always try to test these things and so the first time we grew the hardneck garlic people would say oh you can't braid that kind and I'm like oh watch me can you though (laughs) Um, and no you cannot (laughs) you cannot braid it (laughs) so (laughs) they were right
1: (laughs) I'll just take your word for it well, I, I don't know. It's just it looks kind of cool. People always just had food stacked everywhere because if you were you had food, I remember reading. Um, What's her name? She wrote the book, Serve the People. It was about food in China. And she said that when you go to the houses in winter, like every window is just piled with cabbages because that was how they kept it in this one region.
0: <laughs> OK,
1: so let me hit you with some. Farm business questions, if I may. You may. Okay, so Melissa, for anyone who doesn't know, is a beautiful, successful woman with a gorgeous farm, which you can go see on YouTube, and a family, and you raise a lot of food, and you write amazing books, and you garden. Okay, you
2: just get to come with me everywhere. (laughs) Like, so good for the ego, just putting it out there.
1: (laughs) What I'm trying to say is Melissa's goals <laughs> for a lot of us. <laughs> um, oh, also, this is what I really don't get. Whenever you meet me in town, you look so nice. Like you're clean, your clothes are clean. How do you do it? <laughs> Tell me about that part.
2: <laughs> okay. what? This is going to sound really funny. So <laughs> growing up, I we didn't have a lot of money. And what's funny is like I knew that like, you know, I would ask for things and, and my parents would say like, no, we don't have enough money for that. But uh-huh. I didn't really realize um, – This sounds so funny to say. I didn't realize how poor we were until Mm -hmm. I was older. Like, my mom sewed my clothes when I was little, and I just thought she liked to sew. No. (laughs) Because back then—oh, Lord, I sound ancient. I am 41. (laughs) But back then, it was cheaper— to sew your clothes than it was to yeah. buy store bought now with the price of fabric and zippers and notions is that that's not right. always the case. And we have True. unfortunately much cheaper clothing. And I say, yeah. unfortunately because that actually causes a lot more issues yeah, beyond just the pocketbook and you buying cheap clothing. But anyhow, um, so we had the, I didn't have a lot of clothes. Um, And so there was your school clothes, and you had your church clothes. And so as soon as you came home from school and or from church, you immediately changed into your player farm clothes. And so I've really kept that um, that designation of clothing. So I have my clothes that I wear that they're not school clothes anymore; they're to town clothes or to church clothes, uh, that type of thing. And so. Uh, they're just set aside. And so I have like what I wear on the, on the farm in a normal day. And then I've got what you would go to town in. And so I I guess it was just, you know what, it's really true. Like your formative years, they're called that for a reason. And so that is (laughs) always stuck with me. So that's really funny. Yeah.
1: Um, But it's true. It's true. I remember getting in so much trouble as a kid, if we went outside in our, like came home from church and went right outside, but I didn't like wearing the fancy dress up clothes. So I'd come home. I was like instantly changing. <laughs> My brothers would always go outside. Why are you guys hiding your church pants? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Now you made me think of another question that I didn't have before. You have a farm and you go to church and the chores and everything like that. How, do you do it like really early before you go? How do you make that work? Because church is usually in the morning, right?
2: Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. Our church starts at 10. Um, but I'm on the praise and worship team, so technically I'm supposed to be there at 9:30. And they really love me, and I usually roll in about 9:45. <laughs> so they're sweet, and they have my mic already set up for me um,
1: because they just know. This is awesome.
2: Anyways, um, oh, true confessions. So the the way that we run the farm is so we've been my husband. I've been married for 23 plus years. We just had our, our 23rd um, year anniversary, and. Of those years, my husband still works a day job offsite, so he commutes thirty some miles a day, uh, Monday through Thursday, to his day job, and. For 18 of those years, I haven't worked at the pharmacy for four, going on four years now, but for the first 18 years of us homesteading, I also worked off the farm. And so we both were doing going to day jobs and we were actually driving in opposite directions from one another. Oh our, my our farm was kind of in the, in the middle and we both drove to neighboring towns for our day jobs. So we had to have systems in place in order to still be able to farm and to raise as much of our own food as we mm-hmm. possibly could um, that we were gone during the day. And so, so I generally don't do chores before church. Um, or if I do, it's very little. So like with the, all the poultry, like I have large enough feeders that I can fill them up and Mm -hmm. they'll have food for at least two days. So then I can time that so that everybody's getting filled up and fed Saturday and I'm not dealing with it Sunday, you know, invite and vice versa. Or I can go in and top it off if I need to like, Oh, like I fed yesterday, but I need to not the next day type of thing. Uh So we've done that automatic waters for, um, is especially the large livestock. So for the pigs, we don't have pigs at the moment, but, and the cattle. Um, and then we feed for the cows, the big round bales. So even in the winter months, you know, we're not feeding them every day. And so we kind of just, my husband has that time. So he knows, you know, Monday, so Sunday he feeds a new bale. So then Monday, the first day of his oh, work week,
1: okay.
2: he's not having to go out to. And depending upon how many cows we have, how severe the weather is, et cetera, you know, putting down that round bale on Sunday, will take them through at least until... Tuesday or Wednesday. So sometimes in the middle of winter, you know, he is having to put out another bale, which of course, by the time he gets home, well, when he leaves in the morning, it's dark. And by the time he gets home, it's dark. So we're doing it in the dark with flashlights and headlamps (laughs) and everything. But, um, you know, that's just one day a week versus if you were having to try to feed in the dark. Four days a week yeah. when it comes to the cows. Yeah. So we okay. really have, have tried to systematize that as much as, as possible. Um, of course, when it's really severe weather, you know, I am having to take out the chicken waters is the one for the chicken tractors that I don't have down with an automatic watering system that will keep it from freezing. So that's right. the one time when we have the really cold weather in the winter, yeah. even on church mornings, I bring the waters in at night and then take them back out in the morning So that they've got, you know, fresh water in the morning and then we kind of rotate throughout the day. But aside from that, I'm usually not doing the
1: chores uh, Sunday morning. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I love that. I I like hearing about the systems because that was actually kind of segues me into what I wanted to ask you, which is not everybody listening has a farm or even wants a farm, but pretty much everybody listening wants to cook from scratch. Ironically, the title of one of your books. (laughs) everybody wants to cook from scratch they want to make bread they um probably want to shop from local farms all things that take more time than just buying pop tarts at the grocery store and a lot of people are also working either side hustle jobs they do at home or like you said actually driving to a workplace so we all (laughs) the people melissa we wanted to know about how you (laughs) stop laughing <laughs> sorry
2: I'm trying to laugh quietly and it makes it worse
1: <laughs> yeah because then you go like you run out of oxygen um we wanted to know about like how you structure the the chores to work I mean you show us videos of here's me hauling a bale of hay but obviously that takes more time than just hauling a bale of hay like you know to make the video and everything so it's not like oh making videos of doing farm chores short like it's not saving you time or anything. Um, so we want to know, how do you run the business, the family, be a wife? And you're on the prison worship team at church and um, still have time to meet me in town and talk for an hour. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're so funny. Um, really, uh, it really is, is this. Is systems, which I know you're like, okay, well, great. Well, what does that actually mean? So- no, but I love
1: hearing, just hearing that. that. That is helpful, but I do want to know what it means. Yes. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I really try to batch my
2: time. So whenever I'm doing certain tasks, be it business, be it farm, be it homestead, be it cooking, Mm -hmm. whatever, um, there's certain things that I like to try to do and batch, but then there's other things that I've I've come to realize if I just do a little bit of that every single day, I can always stay on top of it. If I miss days, then it becomes this huge thing. And one of those is laundry. Like living on a farm, hallelujah, you always got dirty clothes, like no matter what. And so- I do, for the size of my family, which is two teenage kids at the moment, who ironically, I swear, dirty up clothes almost as much as a newborn. I'm not quite sure how. Um, how is this happening? I I'm, I don't know. I'm like, okay, guys. So I do a load of laundry every single day. And for me, that means putting, putting the load in, getting it dry. Right now, that's out on the clothesline. In the middle of winter, I do use a clothes dryer um, and then fold it and put away so that like... So what I would do when I was working, and I still do that because I am working from home, I'm not, but I am right. actually in the home. So it goes in first thing in the morning because usually if you are on the grid, I know Andrea is not, your power rates are <laughs> cheaper. It costs you less to run your what? electronic things. Um, non-peak hours. Yeah. So usually like huh. I, I think peak hours, I'd have to double check, but I think they're like from 8 a.m. to – you know, like 8 or 9 p.m. at night or something like that. I
1: literally that. had no idea. Literally did not know that. See, growing up in a
2: frugal household, you learn these things because that was when yeah. my mom timed everything. So, And it worked That's great when I tip. was working outside the home because I could put a load of laundry in in the morning before I left, mm-hmm. like first thing in the morning. And so that way, um, if I needed to put it out on the line, I had time to get it out on the line before I left for work because obviously it would need to be in out to dry all day um yeah. and then if not i would have time to put it in the dryer or if i didn't have time to put it in the dryer as long as i put it in the dryer as soon as i got home it wouldn't get the sour smell because you know if you leave mm-hmm. clothes in the washing machine too long they get you have to just rewash them and defeated the whole purpose i don't know I've what you're a few times. unless mm-hmm. i've never done
1: that never I've, done that don't know what that means are you
2: <laughs> not a good one <laughs>
1: So, You've never had to throw a load away before, have you? Because that's happened to me. <laughs> uh,
2: no, actually, I've never had to throw a load away before, but I have had to use a little ever. extra vinegar <laughs> to get some smells. I'm just
1: saying, there was a load okay. once that was well. Not that makes redeemed. me
2: feel better, actually. Um, I I will confess though when I when my children were small and I was nursing, you know, the nursing pads that you would put in your bras. Yes. Okay, yes. so one time I didn't realize somehow a bunch of those got at the bottom of the hamper, and I didn't realize <laughs> oh, it. No. And then, like a lo- long time later, I pulled them out, and they had like all the colors of mold, like pink, oh. yellow, like every color of the rainbow of mold. Oh, and so yeah. those did got thrown out, but they weren't technically in the washing machine yet. <laughs> so, anyways, it's fresh raw milk. It, it was, and it she turned <laughs> she she who she was doing stuff. Anyways. <laughs> she turned oh on me Oh my gosh. um but back to the back to sorry i'm okay. like a squirrel back to no, the, the laundry
1: is very interesting because like, this is yeah. practical
2: so wash it in the morning it'd be dry by the evening it gets mm-hmm. folded everything is put away that night so then the next morning yeah. you're not having because a lot of times it's easy to get it well it can be washed and dried, but then you have this pile of how many loads that need to be folded and put away and then it becomes this thing. So yeah. that's kind yeah. of my oh, rule. Yeah. So laundry is done every every day to okay. stay on top of it. Um but and then kind of the same thing. I try to do the same thing with the dishes as well. We don't have a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. Um so it's by hand. By choice, we did have a dishwasher and we no longer do. So why? same thing. Why? Wait, just, wait, why?
1: What happened You just wanted the coverage? Okay, space so
2: well a little bit of both, so living in a manufactured home, the plumbing that they put in uh double whites at least ours was built in uh, two thousand and six. so they put in smaller circumference pipe, so it's like a half an inch smaller diameter than what you would put in a regular house uh-huh. and so uh-huh. and at the angle that the pipes got put in we had plumbing issues. And so my husband after the second time, he's like, I am not going back under and redoing it and clogging all of these pipes again. Like I'm just done. And we really were suspectful that it was the, it was the dishwasher that was causing a lot of the issues. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, but if we don't have a dishwasher, I am not the sole dishwasher. Like there's going to be some, you know, like I understand your frustration, but at the same time, we're not yanking out the dishwasher, sure. and then I am the one that is stuck doing all of the dishes. So we—this was three years ago. Now I'm—I'm I'm trying. Yeah, three years ago, okay. and so everybody gets a dish night, and you know everybody just has to help with the dishes because well, I'm not being the way one to do stuck it. with them. So. It's worked pretty well. I mean, I will say that I still do the majority of the dishes, um, but when I'm like, I need a break, it's your dish (laughs) night, then they're pretty willing to jump in and grab it. I will say we had made that decision before we had a dairy cow. Um,
1: uh. (laughs) And
2: so there are times when I have slightly (laughs) thought about... I maybe regretted that when I'm washing all of the glass gallon <laughs> jars, you know, every single yes. day and all of the milking a- equipment and, and cans and everything. And like, was this the smartest decision? Anyhow.
1: Was this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. But so that's my other rules with the dishes. So you do the laundry every day. The dishes get done, obviously, constantly. Now I want to know what else you do every day and your yeah, other so- everyday things.
2: That is that. And when the garden is in, I try to go out and make sure I am doing a little bit of weeding every day. Like, so I'm not doing those marathon. And we use a lot more mulch and a lot more different permaculture practices now. So the weeding is not nearly what it used to be, even though the garden has expanded greatly over the over the mm-hmm. decades and years since we've been here. Um, but kind of just that maintenance too, like taking a look at the plants, like, oh, is anything looking diseased? Is there starting to be some type of bug infestation? You know, anything like that you can catch in its beginning stage, then you're likely to save the crop and it's just easier yeah. to deal with. So I try to do like a little garden, like walk through every day. Sometimes it's morning, sometimes it's evening, that type of thing. Um, and then I do check on the chickens and the cows. We do check on them once a day, even if waters are all the way full and all of that kind of stuff because systems can fail. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have an automatic yeah. water that doesn't work anymore or the hose can split or just mm-hmm. whatever. So we, I still do a visual eyes on everybody, um, but it's just a pretty quick, like usually it's an evening walk type thing, just like a nice little break outside yeah. and, and do a quick walkthrough. But those are kind of my... Those are my must-dos every day. And then when it comes to cooking, I Sunday is like my batch day. So Sunday is where okay. and this goes from back like when Monday was my work day and I wasn't home during the week, so I had to do a lot of stuff mm. on Sunday. So Sunday is where um I make up whatever's going to be for breakfast. Um because I don't cook breakfast in the morning because so like everybody for the whole
1: week, you mean? Mm-hmm.
2: Monday through Thursday. So my husband is okay. home Fridays and I um My schedule changed a lot when I was working, but a lot of times I did have Fridays off too. And so Mm -hmm. I will make, and then like, so my husband leaves at like five something in the morning, then the kids have different times that they're leaving for school. So nobody's like up mm-hmm. and at the same time anyways, and I'm not getting up and cooking breakfast right. for three hours in the morning for different people's schedules. <laughs> just not going to happen. So I will do up like for this past week, my son's like, wow, can you make cinnamon rolls? And so cinnamon rolls is not normally what I give them for breakfast, you know, every day of the week. But I'm like, sure, I haven't made cinnamon rolls for a long time because I don't do as much yeah. baking in the summer because it's hot. We don't have an air conditioning in the house. Right. Um so I made up a big pan of cinnamon rolls and then, um, same thing. Like I made up a bunch of cookies. We sound like we're sugar addicts right now, but I made up cookies <laughs> for the week. Cause I knew like I'm not making dessert and then the cookie yeah. jar will be full. Um, and then I did, um, up a bunch of yogurt. So then, you know, there's options of yogurt for breakfast or snacks yeah. or whatever. So that, you know, right there, breakfast was taken care of. Dessert was taken care of, um, And snack stuff was taken care of. And then we've got a ton of fruit coming on. So there's like all those things for them to grab. So then it was um, dinner. And I always try to cook a large meal on Sunday and then plan out how I can use that to make either leftovers for the second night, ideally. So like big meal, like whole chicken, big baked roast Sunday dinner, Sunday night. Monday night is just straight on leftovers. And then Tuesday night, I took the... uh, leftovers from the chicken and made, uh, white sauce, chicken enchiladas. And again, Mm -hmm. I made like a huge pan of it. And so that was Tuesday night. And then Wednesday is leftover chicken enchiladas. Mm -hmm. So really what I, what I prepped on Sunday took us through the whole week. And I actually only had to cook one more night uh, just to make the enchiladas mm-hmm. from the leftover chicken. And then I threw the next morning, I threw the chicken carcass um, in and made a whole bunch of broth. And in the Instant Pot nice. would, you know, to can up because we were out of chicken broth. I don't know how that happened, yeah. but those happens. things do. It
1: happens. When you're yeah. using it, it happens.
2: It happens. Yeah. So that's <laughs> kind of like, like just kind of like strategy wise. Like I really, like Sunday is like, everything's going down Sunday to take us, yeah through the next week. And then, you know, we all have those meals like where if I didn't necessarily do it or we run short on time or whatever, like Mm -hmm. you've got those meals that you can pull out of your pocket, you know, how to make really quick, really fast, (laughs) you know, your kids like, so, you know, sometimes that's like, that's what we'll do pancakes (laughs) or, you know, we'll just do a big old like breakfast, like eggs and toast and bacon Mm -hmm. or whatever for dinner that night. Or like tacos, like I can thaw taco meat and have tacos like, at so almost an instant. You know, so yeah. like some of those times yeah. we'll just pull those meals out if need be. But ideally, uh-huh. you know, we've kind of meal prepped um for the week and at least got that planned out for dinners.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you know we have a Patreon for the listeners of the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast? try, can't get enough of this well there's more of it over on the patreon feed just waiting for you we have a variety of levels to choose from and a bunch of different benefits to enjoy your sponsorship keeps the podcast on the air ad-free and helps us keep buying books to read and talk about on the podcast and also helps allison buy bizarre ingredients at the farmer's market so she can ferment them and tell us about them later check us out at patreon.com slash ancestral kitchen podcast Oh, that's so awesome so that that handles a huge portion of the the week the time which is you know spent in cooking and then do the kids take lunches or do they like to get lunch at their school or yeah um,
2: they um they get lunch at school which I always tell them you are more than welcome to take lunch from home but I also with the with my kids have I try to do follow you know the 8020 rule. Where we're, they're mm-hmm. eating good 80% of the time and then 20% of the time. I don't want to be so dogmatic that yeah. when they leave home they're like, "Oh my gosh, I never got anything." And so then they flip become <laughs>
1: Twinkies now. <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, because I've seen that yeah. happen with people. I have, too. Um, I have too. And I also like I don't want them to be I don't want their food to become their religion. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. Um, I firmly believe that. I mean, I have a whole health story and turning back to whole foods because I had let convenience foods come too much into our our life and and whatnot, and had to have my upper stomach and esophagus biopsied for cancer. And and it was a whole Mm -hmm. ordeal. Um, And I was able to reverse that and get off prescription medications by completely removing, you know, vegetable oil. I was cooking. a lot of stuff still, but was using canola oil to bake with. Like, you know, I just didn't, I mean, and this was, (laughs) this was years ago, but it, you know, was. And so I feel like I really do know the power of good food and what it does to the body and our food is our medicine and all of that. But at the same time, um, I don't want to be crippled by, oh my gosh, I I can't eat this. Like it's Mm -hmm. caused me so much anxiety because it's not the perfect whole food, whatnot. Like Mm -hmm. I, um, I haven't shared this publicly very, very often, but when I was in high school, I had an eating disorder. And so I've really had to work a hard way to come back from that. And I don't want Whole Foods and good eating to become a new eating disorder for myself. Mm-hmm. And nor do I want that to be any for anybody else, including my children. Um, so I try to have balance, but but tipping mm-hmm. the scales in favor of the yeah. of the good
1: Whole Foods. Yeah. yeah. That's good because I do think we can maybe pathologize food almost. And I agree, obviously, you know, podcast is about eating good food. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, but I don't want to have a hernia if I see the kids eating something because then, I don't know, it's almost like it's just going to make it more of a allure to them in a way. And they are drawn towards and repelled by right things as far as i can tell so i feel like their taste is pretty much on point um but i think ben lynch was saying um when his kids go to a friend's house and they say oh dad i'm gonna eat uh, you know doritos or something that would just make our mother heart stop like no you're not yeah um then he's like okay and you're like, Ben Lynch says that? And he goes, yeah, because then they come home and they have a belly ache, And they're like, I don't ever want to eat that again. And he's like, see, i let them learn on their own. <laughs> that has been
2: really interesting because I have to say, I do have a couple of hard and fast rules. Like, um, I will not let the kids have Mountain Dew <laughs> or oh, Diet no. Cokes. Diet, like diet, any diet no, soda. Yeah. Like, that is no. Like, and, if some, you know, if they're out, you know, like... You know, I'll be like, okay, you can have a sprite. I don't know why I'm like, you can have a sprite or a Seven Up or a, a root beer. <laughs> like it's special. You know, like when it's someone's birthday party and all yeah. they have is soda. Yeah. Like, no, you have yeah. to just have water only. So I don't
1: Eat know. The why. Ice chips out of the cooler, kid. No,
2: <laughs> I don't know why I made this distinction. Like, if you're gonna have a soda, that it, I think because of the caffeine load, probably maybe and the dyes and things and, the, and like, all yeah. the dyes. Yeah, I Anyways, agree with you.
1: I agree with you. I've but, got my like lines. There's, yeah, some, there's, lines some, just, there's just some lines. There's some
2: lines. You're not allowed to do those. But what's really interesting is, because now my kids are older too. I mean, they're my daughter's 13, my son's 17. You know, they're in situations where I'm never there and they're going to make their own food choices. Like I, you know, and, but what's been interesting is they do begin to correlate. I don't uh-huh. feel very well. And I'm like, yes. well, what did you eat or drink today? And sometimes they just don't drink enough water. I'm like, oh, you have a headache. Well, have you had any water today? Oh no. And, you know, and they have water <laughs> bottles anyways. It's a whole yeah. thing. Um, but they have correlated. Like, especially my daughter is like, oh my stomach doesn't feel very good. And I'm like, well, what you know, what all did you have today? And we'll kind of yeah. walk through it. And I'll just ask her what you have today. And then she is like lists it yeah. out. And then she's like,
1: Oh, oh. Yeah. That's really useful too because I feel like a lot of people don't really even realize how bad the food is making them feel. They're just kind of used to feeling sort of crappy all the time. And if you eat canola oil every single day, you don't know how it feels when you eat canola oil because you don't, you've don't. never not eaten it. So that's nice that you're having them observe it because probably like you said, rather than giving them a disorder, they'll just go based on facts and information and what makes them feel good, which is better yeah. way I mean, decisions.
2: And even within healthy food, you can still have sensitivities. And so I think totally. the, the the biggest thing that I have probably learned is to actually pay attention to the cues your body is giving you. Because my body give, was giving me cues that the foods I was eating were affecting me years uh, before I finally paid attention to them.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: And so I really like try that, like even with like good organic, you know, all yeah. the good things like dark chocolate um, that can still be a trigger food for me. Not all the time.
1: Wow.
2: Um, and so I've had to really pay attention to, oh, why am I feeling like this? What have I eaten? So even with the kids, like if we start to notice a pattern, which is kind of also what I'm, I'm trying to help them to recognize on their own, like, okay, I, I, I have a headache and I get this headache every time I eat this food.
1: Um,
2: well, that might be something that's a sensitivity for you, you know. So just Mm -hmm. kind of making them aware and my goal is that they would be in tune to their bodies much more than I was at a younger at a younger age so that they can make those correlations and then remove something if they need to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I know Allison and I are both trying to give that to our kids because um, yeah, we I mean, my mom cooked everything from scratch when I was a kid because there was eight kids and Processed food is pretty expensive. Or maybe it was like the clothes, you know. Like you said, it used to be cheaper to make your own clothes from scratch. And uh, I don't know if you know, I don't really know what processed food like prices are right now, but I feel like it always seems more expensive than just a bag of wheat berries.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I've heard the argument, like, well, it costs too much money to eat healthy food, but kind of the same thing like look at how much you're paying for like a li- a liter or whatever size soda pop right I they're know. like what two dollar I, I don't know
1: I don't they're buy them but
2: they're, they they yeah. are and I'm like I'm like but but they're looking at like this two dollar thing which seems two dollars for a one-time sports drink let's say versus you know eight gallon eight dollars for a gallon of milk so two yeah. versus eight that does right. seem but they're not Taking into account the volume, <laughs> like yes. when you're getting a <laughs> gallon of milk, not yeah. a little, you know, soda drink. So yeah.
1: I, I think, or if even- somebody's somebody will compare, like an ultra processed milk to the. Can you hear? One of the kids is playing Duolingo upstairs. Can you hear that? Okay, I can't. um okay, um but they'll compare it to the raw milk, and they say, "Well, like the raw milk is so much more expensive," and they're not also comparing not just the volume, but what that thing is doing. The raw milk is literally healing you and the ultra processed milk is making you more acidic and sucking calcium out of your bones. Like big difference.
2: (laughs) Oh, complete. Well, and even in that, like, this is where like, I get so angry too is People don't understand that although a lot of the reason that the processed food is sometimes cheaper is because of government subsidies, Absolutely. and so things that are like high fructose corn syrup and these corn yeah. products, like with big farms, like the only reason they're cheaper is because the government is actually mm-hmm. making them cheaper.
1: They're not um, actually cheaper.
2: They're not. And so it's created this false dichotomy within our whole food system on multiple layers, which this would be an entire another podcast episode. We don't have enough time for it to get on this full soapbox, but let's do it. (laughs) But it it, it really makes me angry, actually, um, because it's not the true cost of the food and people don't realize that and it causes all these other issues um yes the health implications the health mm-hmm. issues um but even for the farmers and then where you've got farmers who aren't getting subsidized that are trying to farm and
1: and fair yeah. wages and oh no it's a I big know mess it's just a yeah. mess and then those farm farmers on those subsidized farms are basically slaves to their industry they can't just pivot and say you know what The soy isn't doing so good anymore. I think I'm going to switch to something else. Like they are indentured and mortgaged and remortgaged and they can't get out. It's, it is depressing. And that's where a lot of those really sad and hard farming stories come from. But yeah, I think when you say the true cost of food, people think, oh, yeah, sure. Of course, you're talking about that the food is going to make me sick and whatever. But it's like, not even that, just literally the production cost is so obscured that we think we're buying cheap food and you've paid in taxes and your children will be paying in taxes and yeah ugh, so many things speaking of money speaking of money cuz that's fun um we were wondering if you could spit out a list for us of and i know that the the modern farm there's a lot of monocrop farms right this like what we're just talking about all you grow is soy 50,000 acres of soy or whatever um, But the small, nimble farms tend to be more diverse. Like this is this morning, we were just trying to make a list of all the things Melissa K. Norris does. Oh gosh, like a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's a a way the way that I see a lot of older farms being. Like when you read old diaries and books about older farms, I mean, just read Farmer Boy. They're selling thoroughbreds. They're selling butter. They're taking cows and pigs into town and selling them. They're husking corn. They're making, you know, shingles. You know, th- there's a diverse amount of skills and outputs and income sources and things like that. So makes the farm more resilient because then when there's a bad winter and there's no maple syrup, at least you still have butter to sell. When there's a bad spring and there's, or you don't have good cows and at least there's maple syrup to sell. So we were wondering if you could just, Generate for us a list of ways somebody on a farm could generate income if you have ideas for that. Oh, girl. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's-, Let's hear it.
2: Let's hear it. Okay. So, Obviously, some of it's going to depend on the size of your farm and the acreage that you have, but not always necessarily. And the reason I say that is because my brother doesn't own any acreage and he has one of the largest cattle herds in Eastern Skagit County that there is. And that's because he leases multiple fields from people. Usually it's older farmers or um, acreage that people don't want to get rid of because it's been in the family, but they don't farm it anymore. Like it's, you know, old family farms, basically. So that's why I say like, like, you're not you're only limited by what you think you're limited by. And I know that 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 feels like, oh, this like sky in the pie type thing to say, but it's really true because if you're like, no, I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. You will figure out a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, oh no, I can't do this, then you're right. You can't. So that being said, um, (laughs) so obviously, you know, livestock, and there's two ways for that. You can actually sell the finished product, meaning you're going to sell half a beef, quarter of a beef, full beef, uh-huh. but it's in the, it's been killed, butchered, cut and wrapped, right? right. It's in the beef format. Right. Um, or you could actually sell and do a breeding program where you're selling the live cattle. So you're selling off calves or you're selling off steers or 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 whatever. Yeah. So when it comes to livestock, there's usually both and sometimes people will do both of those options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they get too many for what their field can handle or their pasture can handle or whatever, then they'll choose mm-hmm. or if they want to introduce some new stock, lots of different reasons. They may sell off some of the calves, um, and then also, you know, raise and sell the actual beef when it's time. So that can be said, you know, of chickens, of pigs, uh, we don't do goats and sheep, but I mean, there's lots of ways that you can apply that same basic scenario. Yeah. So Does there's Joel that.
1: Joel do that now? He leases land all around him and-
2: Yeah, Joel sells it. Yeah. He, they lease um, quite a few farms a and feel yeah. like a lot, like thousands of acres types seal yeah. in, in the surrounding area. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a, can be a very viable way of doing it. Of course, if you're yeah. going to do that, like- you know, look at, um, you know, the lease agreements, the requirements, yeah. if you do improvements on the land, um, yeah. you know, there's lots of things and and we don't have time to get into that here. And it's going to be a little bit different, you know, per each person. People should situation. check out but, his
1: book, Your Successful Farm Business. Because I think he yes. talks about it in that one, if they, if they're interested in doing that. And he talks about how they just saw how much they improved the land he was on. And they realized now that they knew what they're doing, they could do in five years, what took them like 25 years to do for the land. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Joel has an excellent resource. So yeah, definitely check out his books. Um, So that would be number one. And then of course, you know, with your chickens, there's of course, you know, selling the eggs, which in Washington state is great. You don't actually have to have any type of egg licensing as long as people are actually just buying them from you. Like the end consumer is coming to your Uh farm and buying them from you. You don't have to have any type of license if you're selling okay. wholesale to like restaurants or grocery stores. That's where having an egg license comes in. Um, Providing hard thing they, to get. It didn't really look that hard um, when I was looking at it, but I'm like, we just only sell extra eggs to neighbors, so yeah. there was. You need a lot like, of
1: eggs to make it worthwhile.
2: Yeah, you need a lot of chickens and a lot of eggs. Yeah, and so. <laughs> I'm not interested in going, like for me personally, I'm like, I'm not really interested in that route, but, um, you know, the chickens are great because they do so much for the, the land, um, you know, getting them moved around, like excellent fertilizers and Mm -hmm. keeping bugs and down anyways, they're, they're great. So there's that option. So then of course there's, you know, your meat birds. Um, and again, um, you know, you can sell, you know, the, the chicken, the butchered you know, chicken. Right. And of course, whatever you're selling, you, you got to look at all of the, um, depending on, on how big you want to go and how legal you want to be with it. Like, I'll just leave it at that. So right. you need you do need to look when you're selling meat, if you're butchering it on site to consumers, is there any type of food handling license laws yeah. or licensing that needs to be done, et cetera. And that's going to differ from state to state um, and, you know, country to country. Yeah. So anyways,
1: chickens fall under different rules than like big animals too. I assume because you can process a chicken much faster than a cow in terms of temperatures and things like that, so
2: yeah, and getting' them, getting them chilled uh yeah. down to to temperature right away, so yeah, Joel
1: touches on that in that same book too
2: yeah, well it's Somebody it's different say. it's like so technically in washington state um In Washington state, if you, you're considered a small poultry license, if it's a thousand birds or less a year, but you still are supposed to get licensed and have an inspection once a year, like there's still stipulations Mm -hmm. within that. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyhow, so there's that aspect. And then, but then for, you know, like for selling, um, of course, like, you know, a cut flower farm, you know like people love flowers. And so there's of course that option. There's actually a lot of flower farms that do very, very well. I mean, you think about like people will spend $20 on a bouquet of cut flowers. And I mean, that's amazing. Like the profit margin on that is really good. Um, And so even if you have a small cut flower area, maybe in your front yard, which is what we did, and I'm not selling cut flowers right now. It's just for own personal use, but think about again, having different sources of income, but it's even if someone comes to you, so if you've acquired a customer, say someone's coming to you for eggs Mm -hmm. and they're getting Mm -hmm. eggs from you and then you have these really pretty bouquets, they'll just grab and add one on. And so it's always easier Mm. in business. Once you have acquired a customer, um, it's going to cost you a lot less to sell more things to that same customer versus acquiring a brand new customer. So think mm-hmm. about that even within just the scope of your backyard. you know, maybe it's okay, I've got eggs, but during the summer, I've got extra produce from the garden and then I've got mm-hmm. these cut flowers and then I've also got extra herbs or I yeah. have a mass production of elderberries this year. you know, I've got extra elderberries that I can sell. so really just look um you know, look around and, and look and see how many different things that you could offer to the same person or to the small group of people, service them well. Um, and then you can decide, do I want to go any bigger with this? Yeah. Maybe you're like, oh man, everybody loves the elderberries. I find them really easy to do. I want to do more. You need to expand there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that that's going to kind of differ. And then two is when you are looking like It so, for example, if you're just selling elderberries or blueberries, right? It's going to be a certain usually you know cost per pound or or volume or whatever. But think about how much more people pay for elderberry syrup versus Mm -hmm. just bulk elderberries, uh, you know, blueberry muffins for sweet value adding, yeah. 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 So those are, are avenues. And again, each of those has different things. If you're doing it as a business, like, do I need to have a commercial kitchen? Is this under cottage mm-hmm. law? Is it, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 things that you'll have to think about. But, um, and that's something that Joel actually talks about in the, in the, that book, the, yeah. your, your profitable farm business, um, it it's, it does really well and it can really get your brain thinking too. So those are options. Um, and then, you know, like the the food that you pr- you know that you're producing again. Like you know, if you're making sourdough bread, I know a lot of people will do you know five extra loaves and yeah. sell it to neighbors, people in the area. Um,
1: yeah.
2: You know, so there's that aspect really that you can kind of carry along down the line with any of the things. Um, and then there's there's also the whole industry of agritourism, which I know a lot of people mm-hmm. think. Well, I don't have a really big farm like that sounds silly, but. <clears throat> There's like, I know with you, Andrea, like, you know, there's also doing where you have people come in and rent a a really beautiful, by the way, um, (laughs) tent, it's this really pretty tent. It has the wood stove in it and they come and stay and it's short-term rental. Like most Mm -hmm. people, if you say Airbnb, they're like, oh yeah, but it's a short-term rental. You can use different Mm -hmm. platforms, um, and whatnot. And so there's, there's that aspect that you can do for, for lodging. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people want to come and experience farm. You can do farm tours. Mm -hmm. Um, you could also do like Teaching classes. So if you're like, I know how to grow elderberries like nobody else, or at least really Please good. Call me,
1: right? Yeah. Because <laughs> so so, I pay for that class? <laughs> right. Amen.
2: So that might be something where you just teach a class. Like people want to learn how to how to grow elderberries and make elderberry syrup. You know, there are mm-hmm. things even with sourdough, like. Like knowing how to truly do traditional sourdough, how to form loaves correctly, you know, how how to create tension on that. Um, There's just so many things that we tend to think of. Well, I know how to do this. Doesn't everybody? No, they don't. And and it. I think too. A lot of times, people in homesteading and farming, especially. Um, we are so giving, and I think that's a beautiful thing about the community. I have to say like homesteaders are so eager to share what they know, how they do it. They want everybody to experience the lifestyle because it is so amazing.
1: Um,
2: but on the, on the other hand, it is okay to charge money for those things as well. And so you have to balance that, um, you know, within Mm -hmm. your own self. But I will say that I heard this for a number of years, and it never really clicked with me until it did. And that is, we value what we pay for. Mm. Because you can watch on YouTube for free and learn how to do anything. Right. You really can. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to sift through a lot. So I hope you have time <laughs> and you have to be able to judge does this person actually know what they're talking about? And that's hard to do when you're a beginner in something because how do you know if they do or yeah. not? You know, you don't have any yeah. context yet. But that being said, we are not at a sp- place right now where we have lacking of information on how to do things. But how many things do you want to learn how to do and you've not done them? I have things. I I mean, all of us do. So many. But I know if I pay somebody to teach Mm -hmm. me how to do something or to take a course on it or to go take an in-person class, well, buddy, I'm going to get my money's worth (laughs) because mama didn't raise no fool. (laughs) And so if I pay for it, I'm going to do it. And that is true for everybody. Like we value that. So having a class where you're, you're charging is great because it's helping you. And I think within the homesteading community, I've never understood this mentality. Like, well, how dare you charge for that? Really? Like, why wouldn't you want to support people in this community? Like, I don't understand that. Like I listen to people's podcasts and I watch people's YouTube videos too, and if they have something for sale and it's an area that I'm interested in, I am so happy to support them. Like I would mm-hmm. much rather my money go to people putting out that Me kind too. of stuff than, you know, go buy a Mountain Dew from so I don't even know what
1: corporation or something. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I've never really understood I that think. mentality. Anyways, um But think about that. Think about doing, you know, and what's been great is we actually started doing live chicken butchering workshops here on our farm a couple of years ago. That's actually how I met you indirectly, Andrea, because (laughs) Danny came. And so these are people that are in your local area. And yeah. they're wanting to get into this sort of further their skill sets. I have met some amazing people. And if I would have never offered those classes, which were for yeah. a fee, um, yeah. I wouldn't have these awesome people now in my local community. And so Danny and her husband came as mm-hmm. a dear friend now. We meet for lunch and coffee and text back and forth. I've been to our house numerous times. Yeah. And then she introduced me to you. And I'm like, yeah. if I had never had that paid class, we wouldn't have... Now, this Seriously. community of Homestead Sisters in yeah. our geographical location. So thank you, Danny. Yes.
1: Thanks, <laughs> thank you, Danny. Melissa, for offering the class.
2: <laughs> so I, I guess I'm saying that because I know a lot of times that people can have a little bit of astigmatism about offering a class mm-hmm. where they're teaching for a fee. They feel Honestly, like they have to do it for I free.
1: If I see somebody's just giving something away, then there's immediately a thought like, well, is it even that good? Yeah. If they're just giving it away. But then when I see somebody's charging, you know, when I look at um oh my gosh, Brandon's classes. Oh, farmstead meat smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then I'm like, well, these are like really valuable because it's gonna cost a thousand dollars for me and my husband to go. So I can see how much value he places on them and how he's so convinced that you're gonna walk away with this much value that he's willing to charge it and he knows what his time is worth and i totally respect that i agree with you and i think um the same with the camping that people do out here i've met amazing people who are now just friends um who camped out here and they paid to camp you know and it was worth it to them and they saw that we thought it was worth it for them to pay totally love that yeah
2: so um. Yeah, I now
1: lost track of my list,
2: but I think we kind of covered at least briefly. Yeah, you know, there's well, any sort loss of ways.
1: Yeah, any sort of. um, Joel calls it edutainment. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I was telling Gary yesterday. I said, you know, most homeschool families. I I'm the second of eight kids, raised in homeschool family, single income household. Right, just my dad worked and my mom stayed home and. Educated us, right? So, like you said, I never knew we were frugal, but I guess we were, but just didn't know. Um, and I remember saying, look, "We would, we, we never really went out to eat because you don't take eight kids out to eat. <laughs> like, it's just too expensive." And, however, I said, "I do remember my parents shelling out to visit presidential museums, or, you know." the Laura Ingalls house in Pepin, Wisconsin, or whatever, like homeschoolers, as frugal as we are, we will pay for edutainment (laughs) for all our kids. (laughs) Like we will, because we value that, um, the education, the skills, the knowledge, and of course the connection. So I would say, yeah, anything, um, yeah, like you said, farm tours, classes on, it's weird what people do that we just think everybody cans so nobody really needs to learn how to can or i guess they could just learn out of a book but people don't people yearn for those face-to-face shoulder-to-shoulder connections and your chicken butchering class was one of those for danny i know like it was she was feeling so stressed about doing all their chickens and she said she saw your class and it was just it was pivotal for her so and the extension for me (laughs) <laughs> <Now> <laughs> and <know> and <laughs> vice versa. Like it's
2: been it's been amazing because we actually are getting ready to open a farm stay um house. We bought excited property. I'm I'm very excited. In fact, um I the um I, I have to meet uh some contractors down there today that are putting some things in. So I'm really excited. <gasps> Yay. Um but it's been great because I've been able to pick your brain. You know, like it's all yeah, it, it, yeah. It, we all have value and it's so great. Right To to be able to have those relationships um, and those yeah. can happen through offering things in your community because people that value totally. those are going to come for them and then they exactly. probably have other similar values or, or have experience in an area that you want to, but you don't yet. So yes. it's not just you being served monetarily, though that is a mm-hmm. great thing and there's nothing wrong with that, um, sure. but it goes beyond that.
1: And so yeah. I think that's really what I wanted to bring forth. And friends no I think that that is wonderful and just get people thinking what's your niche what are you good at and the thing like you said if you put it out there the person who's interested in it as interested in enough to pay a hundred dollars or whatever to take the class is probably your person <laughs> your kind of people <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah okay well Melissa this is I honestly I could ask you 150 more questions but <laughs> I don't know, I know. Look at the time, and I'm like, I know long I was like, meeting. wait a minute, we just fast an hour. <laughs> Holy cow! Um, but uh, so I'll stop now, but maybe someday a part two, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. Ask you yes, we can time. totally do a part um, two. Before we go, first tell us what is coming out because I'm so excited about what you have coming out. Um, I'm I think really right excited. around when people hear this episode.
2: Yeah. So I'm very excited. So I have a new book coming out called Everything Worth Preserving. And yes. it is a preserving book that's not just canning. It's not just mm-hmm. any one type of food preservation. So it covers all the ways that you can preserve food at home from, of course, canning, water bath, steam canning, pressure canning, dehydrating, uh-huh root cellaring, fermenting, freezing. We can use freezers, which is, you know, cold storage. Um, There's a freeze dryer section, um, infusion. So using alcohol and vinegars um, are are different ways that we can preserve food as well. So the front half of the book goes through each of these methods. Like how do they work? Must have equipment, nice to have equipment Mm -hmm. um, and safety things. Like if you know, like, this is a safety part, do not alter right. this, or this doesn't matter so much, et cetera. And then what I'm really excited about is the last half of the book is okay. all of your fruits, vegetables, and meat- alphabetical huh? order. So there's the fruit yes. section, alphabetical order, vegetable, alphabetical order, meat, alphabetical order. And so all you have to do is flip to A for asparagus as example. You've got 20 pounds of asparagus, bless you because my <laughs> I love asparagus. But you look at a chart under asparagus and it tells you of all the forms of food preservation, these are the ones that are safe to oh. use for asparagus. So then you can just, if you don't know how to ferment asparagus. You can flip to the fermenting tutorial to learn how to do it. And then underneath that chart is all of my favorite recipes. So my pickled asparagus recipe, or here's how you pressure can asparagus or ferment, or here's how you, if you Uh, need to blanch it, how many minutes do you need to blanch Mm -hmm. it? If you're going to freeze it, does it even require blanching? You know, like all of that. So through all of them, so you, I get excited because it's a lot, because it's what I've always wanted because yes, I, I have canning too. books and I love my canning books and I have fermenting sure. books and I have freezing. Sure. Like I've got a lot of the books and I love them, but I'm like, I want everything in one place. And I want to know, shot. yeah, that when I've got broccoli, cause you're not supposed to can broccoli So how do I free? Like how do I freeze? Right. Yeah, it's not desirable. Um, There's a reason on that one. Sometimes it's safety, and sometimes it's you will not like it. This is both. Uh, It's both. (laughs) So I'm like, I wanted a book because I'm like, whenever this everything's coming in, I want to know at a glance what what and how can I do with this? Um, I don't want to have to have ten different books to go through each method and look through all 10 of these. I don't have time for that. (laughs) So I really created the book that I wanted and was unable to find. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm super, super excited. So yes, it is coming out. It's on pre-order right now. And the cool thing is if you do pre-order, you get the paperback copy and you get the digital copy for free. And there's some other fun bonuses, and I can't say what they are yet. But there will be some more bonuses that come out if you have pre-ordered. You will automatically no get way. as well. We're I've just still already working pre-ordered. Out. So We're already working out the details, wait. so I can't say yet because <laughs> they're not all quite in Official. place.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, where do people go to either pre-order or place their order, depending on when they hear this?
2: Yeah. So go to melissaknorris.com, and you'll see the little shop book. And you'll just yep. click on everything worth preserving there. And we, I'll also send Andrea the – or Andrea has to link because she ordered. Thank you. <laughs> um,
1: but I'll send her the link so – I can uh, link it. You can, can put link it, it in the show notes. Um, yeah. And when you said this, I was I, – I literally took a step back. How many pages is this book? <laughs> 459. Like this is a family heirloom going on the shelf for generations. I feel like this is going to go up next to Sally Fallon is kind of,
2: Oh my, that is no price. I I hope so, but I would never.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, when people say to me, which book, and I'm like, just get Sally Fallon's Nourishing Traditions because it covers everything, you know? So if you need one book on how to do you know, a bunch of different foods. There you go. And this is gonna be the preserving one. You just want one book to do because a lot of people, it is a space issue. Um, or a cost, you know, by the time you buy 12 books, you know, twenty dollars each or whatever, you've racked up a bill.
2: Yeah. So well, one
1: book I, that covers.
2: And I don't know about you, but with the canning especially like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love my jams and jellies and, and fruits. Sure. But I didn't want a book that was different types of fruits and jellies just by adding in some vanilla or weird spice (laughs) that I've never heard of before. I wanted the foods that we actually used and ate in our everyday cooking and our everyday meals from what we had preserved, just not some, you know, an exotic, pretty something or another.
1: So, so, so much of canning books, people show me canning books all the time. And, and I'm like, I mean, it's lovely, but it's all boutique sort of specialty things like you might give for Christmas, but not really what I'm stocking my pantry with. And I think that comes from a culture of people learning how to can, who aren't thinking in terms of, I don't go to the grocery store anymore. I grow or I buy it from a neighbor, Melissa K Norris. And, and then I can't or whatever, right? Yeah. They're they're not thinking like that. Did you say there was meals in here too? I'm trying to remember what you said.
2: Yeah. So we have in the in the back section where we've got some different like meals in a jar or and, and then I also have cool. recipes like here you have a jar of canned chicken and you have a jar of canned green beans. How do you use these individual jars oh. to create a meal? Oh. So we have I love an, a it. We have a section on that. And then there is like we've got like um like a chicken pot pie in a jar, which of course does Ooh. not have flour or <laughs> pie crust in it or anything like that. Like it it does follow um the rules. The rules. Yes, because that's that's, that's the way that I that I can.
1: If we're and we're going to be hazardous let us do it on our own time. <laughs> I'm yeah. Not so, not out of your book.
2: <laughs> yeah. But so then it shows you like okay, this is the canned, this is where it's canned, and then beneath that it says okay, to make this into the pot pie, here's what
1: you do. Um, I'm sold immediately. I want it <laughs> just for that. I'm <laughs> glad I already bought it. I am too. <laughs> um, Melissa, will you sign my
2: copy, please? Of course I will sign your <laughs> copy, friend.
1: Yeah. And I want to get a mug too, so I can literally be drinking out of the mug while I'm reading the mug. Okay. You are super fun. <laughs> we will make it happen. It's going to happen. Okay. Uh, where else can people go to find you? Just give us that before we go. Yeah.
2: Really, if you go to com, my website, you will see the podcast. You'll see the YouTube. Like, You will see all the things. Plus, I believe there's literally over 600 blog posts now. They're all categorized. So if you're like, well, I want you're... the cooking, I want the gardening, yeah. I want the whatever. It's it's very easy to navigate, but there's a plethora of information there.
1: there. There really is. Guys, go check it out. There, you, yes. Joel Salton said something about this once, and you said something to me about this once. There's so many people out there who look really good on the internet, but they really don't know what they're doing, or they've been doing it for a year, which I love their confidence in that they're sharing immediately what they know. But you've really been racking up the experience points. I mean, you've been out here since you were a kid, basically doing this. So um, your stuff is very solid.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. And I'm with you like I do enjoy following people's journey like as they're learning and totally. I think that there's value in that to oh, see yes. somebody's journey as so a much. beginner but there's also things that I realize, you know, 10 years into something um mm. that there's certain things you only learn from doing a very long time and it's just because you haven't had enough mm-hmm. time to be presented with some of those obstacles yeah. that that can come later. It's it's not that um you know that they're giving bad advice no or anything like that um no. it's just there's certain things like i mean even myself you know now that we've butchered and raised chickens for 10 years there's a lot of stuff that that first year uh-huh. i just hadn't encountered yet
1: yeah to have the oh, yeah.
2: the wisdom from
1: yeah and and i'm i mean in the scheme of things i'm a very new to not not so new to food preservation and things like that but as as farming goes I'm brand new to this and I'm just learning from you and Joel and <laughs> the people just watching. And, and it is exactly like you said, there's things that Joel Salton said that I was like, huh, I don't understand. Why would you say this? And then a year later I was like, uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Joel <laughs> is, is
2: just a fount of wisdom. Like I, um, it, it, it is. I just said, I, I, Oh gosh, I sound, this sounds bad. I know Joe personally, which I'll and he is the same in person. Like I Day just dropping. am like, I'm, I'm just like, just talk, Joel. Like just yeah. talk. Let me, I'll That's just sit here like and you. listen. Just talk.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. you. Just talk. <laughs> talk. You're so just sweet. Tell me things. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, speaking of just talk, six hours could go by and I wouldn't realize it. So I better let you go so you can go, um, work on the house. Cause I want to come stay in it ASAP. So please get it done.
2: (laughs) Yes, we we will. We'll have to have like a dedication ceremony and and that'd be fun.
1: That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, Short-term rental warming. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know where you go, but yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. This was just nothing but pleasure. Start to finish. Have an amazing morning. What time is it? It's morning. Have a great morning. morning. (laughs) You too. Okay. Thanks, Andrea. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.